BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. We've got a lot on the program today. Why do psychopaths in suits get away with murder? In America, if you kill your spouse, you'll end up in prison. But if you kill millions of people, eh, you can laugh at the law and buy a new yacht. Why does the Republican Party put coal lobbyists in charge of agencies that are supposed to save people's lives, but instead end up, well, by their inactions, killing people. Dr. Eric Feigelding will be with us also. Could the variants, this COVID, now we've got Omicron, are there more variants coming or are we seeing the end of COVID? What's going on with that? And before I get into the psychopaths, I just wanted to share with you, I got a note this morning from Joe Madison, my colleague over on SiriusXM's Urban View channel, 126 on SiriusXM. And he wrote an open letter to uh, Joe Biden, to President Biden. Joe Madison writes, As you prepare to deliver what I am certain will be a clarion call for the U.S. Senate to pass legislation that will protect our voting rights, I will have begun the 64th day of my hunger strike. I am as adamant today as I was 64 days ago, November 8th, to bring attention to the importance of protecting the voting rights of all citizens. History reminds us that many have sacrificed more than food while in Atlanta, keep in mind he's writing this to Joe Biden who's going to Atlanta tomorrow. While in Atlanta, please remember the words of our beloved Congressman John Lewis, quote, the vote is the most powerful nonviolent change agent we have in a democratic society, end quote. Mr. President, Joe Madison writes, uh, Mr. President, just as food is a necessity to sustain life, the right to vote is a necessity to maintain democracy. I look forward to the day when the voting rights bills are signed, sealed, and delivered. Amen. You can check out Joe's show in the mornings. My rant today over at HartmanReport.com is titled, Why Do We Let Psychopaths in Suits Get Away with Murder? And I start out with the story of a couple of average guys. Uh, Alfred Roof, he poisoned his wife as part of a scheme to get rich off her life insurance. So did Dr. Gregory Brent Dennis, who was looking at a $2 million payout. Joshua Hunsucker poisoned his wife for a mere quarter million dollars in life insurance money, 80000 of which he used to buy a new boat. And David L. Pettis poisoned his wife for $150,000. And then I note, I don't know the names of the men. I'm almost certain they were men. This was, these decisions were made decades ago in corporate boardrooms. But I don't know the names of the men who poisoned my and killed my father and my brother Stan, who died last Thursday. 
but I know where they worked and why they did what they did. Just like Ruff and Dennis and Hunsaker and Pettis, the guys who poisoned their wives for money, these guys in the tobacco and asbestos industries intentionally and knowingly took actions that they knew would result in deaths when they sold asbestos to my dad's employer and got my brother addicted to tobacco. The asbestos industry knew about mesothelioma back in the 1890s and had definitive scientific proof in the 40s. Nonetheless, my dad was exposed to it in 1951. Johnson & Johnson, to this day, right now, as we speak, they're playing bankruptcy games to try to avoid having to pay off people who got cancer from the asbestos in their talcum powder. Same deal with the tobacco industry. Their CEOs lied to the faces of members of Congress in 94 at the same time that that industry has been killing around a half a million people every year throughout my lifetime. And like those four wife killers that I mentioned, in every case with the tobacco industry, the asbestos industry, these executives made these decisions for money. And it was a hell of a lot more money than Ruff, Dennis, Hunziker, and Pettis could ever imagine. And they're still promoting tobacco, and they're still using bankruptcy laws to avoid paying for asbestos deaths. And they're enjoying the pandemic from their mansions and their yachts. And that only scratches the surface. Just in the past couple of weeks, hundreds of Americans have been killed and thousands rendered homeless by climate change driven weather The men in the fossil fuel industry knew 50 years ago would happen as a result of their selling their products for money, just like the guys who poisoned their wives for their insurance money. And then there's the American health insurance industry that, unlike any other in the world, kills tens of thousands of Americans every year by destroying their lives with debt. There's over a trillion dollars in medical debt now. Or forbidding services to them when they're uninsured or can't afford them. You know, ever since our nation's founding, capitalism in America has been played in ways that protect stone-cold killers, psychopaths, and suits. But it's gotten particularly bad since big tobacco was outed in the 1990s. There was a time when we used to prosecute these people. Back in the 1980s, during the Reagan administration, Reagan deregulated the savings and loan industry as part of his rolling out neoliberalism. And predictably, a handful of executives turned themselves into multi, multi, multi-millionaires. And thousands of American families got screwed. So the Justice Department stepped in. And keep in mind, this was the Reagan and the Bush Justice Departments stepped in and prosecuted 1,100 banksters, 839 of them were convicted, and over 100 went to prison. That was just for the SNL scandal in the 80s. When the so-called dot-com bubble burst around the turn of the century, remember this? Uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, dozens of big-shot executives from Enron, remember Ken Lay and Jeff Skilling, WorldCom, Quest, Tyco, Dennis Kaslowski, remember him? Dozens of these executives were prosecuted, convicted, and went to prison. We were still occasionally sending executives to prison as late as 2005. But not anymore. After Glass-Steagall was repealed in 1999, banksters spent the next decade lying to their investors, lying to individual people, in putting together these collateralized debt obligations and other exotic financial instruments that were packed full of liar loans and bad mortgages. And that led straight to the Bush crash of 2008, when guys like Steve Mnuchin, who threw 30,000 California families out of their homes, which is how he got rich, 
or Jamie Dimon, you know, running the biggest bank in America, got fabulously richer. And we, you and I, America, we bailed out these banksters to the tune of over a trillion dollars. So over 1,100 people were prosecuted for the SNL crash. How many were prosecuted, convicted, imprisoned for crashing the entire world economy? Turns out there was one guy. One guy was prosecuted for the Bush crash of 2008. And that one guy who was prosecuted for concealing $37 million out of the $2.1 billion in bad loans and phony mortgages and CDOs that his employer, Credit Suisse, was concealing from other banks and regulators. That one guy who had this little tiny bit of it, in fact, the judge, when he sentenced him, he said, you are a small piece of an overall evil climate within the bank and with many other banks. That one guy who went to prison for three years in upstate Michigan, he was a mid-level banker who was born in Egypt. He's an American citizen, but he was born in Egypt. He has brown skin, and his name is Kareem Saragelden. So the only guy who went to jail was not a white guy, shall we say. But Bush talked to the Justice Department and California Attorney General Harris, and they decided to give Steve Mnuchin and all the other banksters a pass. Hey, send, send the dark guy to jail. That's enough. You know, back in 1966, when Ralph Nader published Unsafe at Any Speed, America was outraged that the auto industry was literally letting people die for money. And LBJ responded and said, no, we're going to fix this, and created the National Highway Transportation Safety Board and established federal regulations, and suddenly cars started getting safer. We got seat belts, we got collapsible steering wheels, we got padded dashboards. Between 95 and 97, in the late 90s, white-collar crime prosecutions at the federal level were 17.5% of all prosecutions. By 2012, it was down to 9.4%. Part of this is because the Supreme Court has made it harder to prosecute white-collar crimes. Part of this is because industry, every major industry in America, is taking advantage of Citizens United and buying their very own politicians so they can have political pressure on prosecutors not to prosecute them. Partly, it was the relentless focus by several administrations, really starting with the Clinton administration, on super predators and stop and frisk and stuff like that, pulling resources away from prosecuting white-collar crime. And part of it was this massive lobbying campaign by some of America's most powerful CEOs to insert mens rea language, that's uh, Latin for state of mind, into this recent criminal justice reform bill. So it's now almost impossible to convict a senior executive of a crime he directed his company to do. Now you have to prove that not only did he know that directing the company to, say, sell more tobacco would kill somebody, but that it would actually kill Joe Dokes in Madison, Wisconsin, the guy who is suing. So it's basically impossible to prosecute CEOs now because of this wonderful criminal reform legislation that we got. In America today, if you poison your wife, and kill her to make 150,000 bucks in life insurance, you go to jail. But if you poison and kill hundreds of thousands of people so you can take a multi-million dollar paycheck, you get to buy a new yacht. This has to end. 
I need to point out to you or want to share with you what is going on down in Florida with Ron DeSantis because it is it is really emblematic of of how the modern day Republican Party grift works. What these guys are really up to. First of all, after the 2020 election, Ron DeSantis said, "Hey, no fraud here in Florida. We elected nothing but Republicans," which was by and large true. There were a few Democrats who got elected, but you know what I mean. Then he says, but, and by the way, this is after he had purged 700,000 people off the voting rolls in Florida before the election. But then he turns around and says, but election fraud is a big problem going forward. We had no problem here with my getting elected. And it turns out that there is an aspect of election fraud that is being committed in Florida and in other states, by the way. But Florida was like the epicenter for it. There were three examples of this last year. And uh, the main one was this guy, Alex Rodriguez. Now, Alex Rodriguez is, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. There is a state senator. His name is Jose Rodriguez. His name is, uh, is uh, Jose Javier Rodriguez. Okay, he's a, a well-known state senator. He's a Democrat. He was a member of the Florida State Senate. Florida Power and Light doesn't apparently like what he's up to. Uh, they, this, this is according to a new investigation that was just released by the Orlando Sentinel. And I'm quoting this off a, a, a post by Blue Tuesday on dailycos.com. Uh, it's titled, Ron DeSantis and Dark Money are at the center of Florida's real election fraud scandal. So you got a state senator and you got a local power company that's pissed off at him because, you know, he's, he's uh, in favor of green energy and uh, those kinds of things. And so apparently, Florida Power and Light helped fund a group called Grow United and sent them lots of money and millions of dollars to the consultants who run the organization. Grow United goes out and finds this guy by the name of Alex Rodriguez, same last name as the state senator, who pled guilty to fraud charges last August for accepting $44,000 in exchange for running for office against State Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez. And the state senator lost the election by 6,000, well, by 32 votes. Uh, Alex got 6,000 votes. People voted for Rodriguez thinking they were voting for Rodriguez. 6,000 of them, which gave the, which caused the Democrat to lose to his Republican opponent, who is not Rodriguez. This, this guy was just a spoiler in there, right? Caused Senator Rodriguez to lose to his Republican opponent, and his Republican opponent, of course, is all in on whatever Florida Power and Light wants. That's what they're going to get. So the State Election Commission looked at this. Now, keep in mind, the State Election Commission is basically DeSantis's people. 
And the state election commission looked at this and says, yeah, this Alex Rodriguez guy, you know, he was not a politician. He had no intention of serving. His name was on the ticket just to create confusion in the minds of voters, which worked. Got the Republican elected, got the Democrat kicked out of office. The, the Rodriguez Democrat. And they said to the governor, because they don't have the power to enforce the law, that's with the executive branch, that's the governor's office. They said to the governor's office, you should fine this guy $20,000, this Alex Rodriguez guy, this guy who, you know, the front group for Florida Power and Light put up. You should fine him 20000 bucks, and you should censure him. In other words, publicly out him, publicly condemn him, publicly state as the state of Florida officially saying, we don't like this. this. These are called ghost candidates or straw candidates, where they have the exact same name as the person who, as one of the candidates who's running, and their only reason for being on the ballot is not to want to win an election, not to change the terms of the debate of the election, not to raise issues or, or make points. The only reason they're in the election is to confuse people on voting day. That's it. And they, the state election commission recommended to Ron DeSantis, you need to nail this guy. $20,000 fine, public censure. That was in October. Then came November, and Ron DeSantis did not even acknowledge that they had made this recommendation to him. Then December ended, and now we're in January. And still, Ron DeSantis has not acknowledged that this happened and that he should do anything about it. Turns out, according to this article, Florida Power and Light is the single biggest political donor in the entire state. State Representative Anna Escamani, who is one of the main critics of Florida Power and Light, but at least gets elected in a district that's not close enough where <laughs> some, a game like this could be played. She came out and she said, DeSantis accepts hundreds of thousands of dollars from political committees connected with Associated Industries of Florida, an organization funded by Florida Power and Light. Not only does he, that, that would be DeSantis, not only does he engage in dark money politics, but he signs every bill Florida Power and Light has sent to his desk, too. She and other lawmakers in the Florida legislature have requested that Florida Power and Light undergo an audit because they're taking taxpayer money. And they don't think that that taxpayer money should go to ghost candidates. Ain't going to happen. DeSantis won't even discuss that. And this may be why. On January 1st of this year, the average electric bill in Florida went up by $20 per person, right, or per household, right across the state. A massive rate increase, a $1.5 billion rate increase. Local governments around the state were saying, hey, wait a minute, why are we sending all this money to Florida Power, Power and Light? If we could just let 
people put solar on their on their roofs, we can diminish the revenue going to Florida Power and Light and diminish our carbon footprint and make our communities more resilient so that the next time there's a hurricane that comes through that takes out our power for weeks at a time, people will still have power in their individual homes. Let's do this. And Ron DeSantis says, no. In fact, he signed legislation that forbids utility companies, excuse me, that bans local governments. Let me, let me describe this better. Say you live in a town in Florida and the local power company wants to build a coal-fired power plant. And people in your town get together and say, you know, we don't want the poison, we don't want the fly ash, we don't want the, the pollution, we don't want the expense, we'd rather have windmills or solar, or we'd rather have natural gas. What the Florida legislature did was pass a bill saying that individual towns, counties, municipalities may not pass legislation forbidding coal-fired power plants or other dirty forms of power. You may not do this. And thus, now that they've got the market cornered, they've got the cities at their mercy, Florida Power and Light says, hey, we want an extra one and a half billion bucks. And sure enough, starting a week ago, they're getting it. This is what happens when you put Republicans in charge of states. Republicans who are the sold out, bought off political prostitutes of large, dirty industries. This is exactly what you get. It should not surprise us. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Marianne in Ocala, Florida. Hey, Marianne, what's up? Hey, Tom. Happy New Year. Thank you. Back um, at I you. was just going to, <laughs> thank you. I was going to talk about Florida Power and Light. Mm -hmm. How, thankfully, they are no longer the entire state of Florida. In our area north, we're Duke Energy. Mm -hmm. And knock on wood, I've seen acres and acres and acres of solar panels. Cool. So I'm hoping the money um, is limited as to, you know, DeSantis and his being able to pull some strings elsewhere. And the only credit I'm going to give this man, because I do not like him at all, is that he does buy up, state of Florida-wise, areas of land for wildlife. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing I'm going to give them. But energy-wise, I just noticed um, that they did buy up Gulf Power, so they do have a little more traction. But we're not totally engulfed in Florida Power and Light. Are there any municipally owned utilities left in yes. Florida? Ocala, um, I have friends who live in Ocala because I'm just outside in the county. Mm-hmm. They have um, the local utility, and their electricity is very high, and I don't, I don't get it because I'm not an electrical person, but mm-hmm. they do pay more. I don't Could just be an economy of scale. Their... Sometimes smaller, smaller utilities you know, just can't, can't provide cheaper electricity. True. Most well, of the people, well, true, because a lot of the horse farms are outside of the city, and I would think they have the bigger property, the bigger property taxes. Yeah. But I don't know why you milk the yeah. <laughs> city it, people. It, it might be more more expensive. Well, who knows? Who knows? But that's fascinating. Uh, yeah. yeah. Marianne, thanks for the heads up on that. Your previous caller was really cool. Your previous caller had excellent stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it was fascinating. It's been a long time since I even thought about trick. Uh, Marianne, thanks. Thanks very much for the call. It's great to hear from you. On the line with us is Dr. Eric Feigelding, the epidemiologist and senior fellow with the Federation of American Scientists, the first whistleblower on the COVID pandemic, former faculty member and researcher at the Harvard Medical School and Harvard's T.H. Chan School of Public Health. The best way to follow him is on Twitter, Dr. Eric Ding, D-R-E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G is where I get a lot of my COVID information. Dr. Feigelding, welcome back. I'm seeing articles popping up about the possibility if COVID was able to combine in the body of an immune compromised person with the common cold virus, which is apparently what brought us Omicron, and please correct me if I'm wrong on that, it could just as easily combine in the body of somebody who has, say, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, MERS, which has a 20% fatality rate, or MERS could combine with the common cold. I mean, there's this whole meme that viruses evolved to be less severe Yet, I don't think that comports with science. Tell us, what's the, what's the truth? Is it time for us to say, okay, everything's cool, this is less deadly? So, first of all, I think it actually depends what the circumstances. MERS, luckily, doesn't exist currently in the wild, really. And it's possible it can combine with a common cold. But what worries me more is it could combine with um, Delta. And, you know, there's some people saying Delta Cron as the new risk. But it's the unknown part, uh, part because it could uh, recombine in many different ways. And recombination actually creates more mutations, a more highly mutated virus than just regular uh, mutation rates, which just goes by the regular error rates. The, the big concern is in an immunocompromised person, the virus can evolve and mutate so much it will be so different than we've seen before. And that's where we think uh, likely Omicron originally came from, um, in in someone who's immunocompromised. And some people have had the virus uh, for over six months in some immunocompromised people. That's the biggest worry. And that's why, like, Omicron is very infectious, maybe milder, but that's almost a negligible effect compared to the infectiousness. But someday you could have something even worse. And some people say, well, 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 it'll just mutate to be something milder. That's not always true, because uh, to be more contagious, usually the, the usual trick is to have a higher viral load. So higher viral load is driving contagiousness and uh, severity. So I don't think it will mutate to be um, mild completely. This is why we have to be vigilant of future variants. 
Yeah, this, it, it seems like a concern. Over in Finland, health minister there, Minister of Family Affairs and Social Services, Krista Kiuro, on Friday said that they are concerned. She said there is a threat that Finland will see the emergence of the largest or one of the largest new groups of chronic diseases and that not only too many adults will suffer from the long-term COVID-19, but at worst also children. They define uh, a, a chronic illness as one that has, quote, major impact on public health and the national economy through lowered working capacity and strains on health care. And she says this, uh, and, and, and then this professor of neurology uh, at the same conference said, this virus has been shown to enter the brain through the nose, and its effects are also seen on magnetic resonance Im imaging. Around 20% of people infected see long-term cognitive impairment. Wow. What about the possibility that we have, you know, we hit 60 million people infected here in the United States now. How many people are we going to have who are permanently disabled? Is this going to be the new arthritis or the new type yeah. 2 diabetes or, uh, you know, fill in the blanks? Yeah, it's a huge, huge worry. And I want to say that when Finland makes these statements, the Finnish government is not political whatsoever when it comes to health. So when they put out this huge government warning about that one in two people could have long COVID symptoms, that is really serious. And furthermore, it also points out that if you want to have long COVID, you don't even have to be hospitalized. It's mild and asymptomatic people as well can develop long COVID, albeit somewhat less. But still, there's still a clear and present uh, danger uh, for these people. And I think there's also lots of other neurological things that we haven't even discovered yet. We already know that there's some sort of cognitive dysfunction. Another British study says that if you're hospitalized, you lose about seven IQ points. If you're not hospitalized, you lose about two to three points. That's still a lot, considering that lead poisoning in kids, we don't accept lead poisoning in kids in any society, but lead poisoning in kids is about two points of IQ damage. So if mild COVID, mild COVID, yields two points of IQ damage equivalent to uh, lead poisoning, that's not something we should tolerate as a society, period. And there's going to be way more people with long COVID than just lead poisoning. And this is why we have to look forward as COVID is not just an infectious disease, but it is a chronic disease. And this chronic disease is something that's going to live with us for a long time. And just this weekend, the CDC reported that COVID could cause diabetes in kids. This CDC report also confirms that there's higher risk, much higher risk. So that would be COVID uh, infecting the pancreas, risk. basically, causing the same kind of viral well, pancreatic well, we infection. That... Because besides neurological, there is other multi-organ damage, you know, right. inflammatory diseases. Diabetes is also inflammatory disease, too. Right. So we really think that total scope of diseases affected by COVID is going to be much larger than just the infectious disease, current symptoms, and hospitalization that we see. The, the message that over the weekend we heard from uh, Senator Rand Paul and Senator Ron Johnson of uh, Kentucky and Wisconsin, and that it seems to be being echoed as conventional wisdom across conservative media, from right-wing podcasts to Fox News, is hey, you know, it's not so deadly, Omicron, uh, now is the time to go out and get yourself infected because that'll give you some immunity and, uh, you know, whether you're vaccinated or not, and just, you know, let's just get this sucker and, uh, you know, get this disease and get everybody infected and just get over it and get back to normal. And, and there's even, you know, people arguing that this should be the Biden administration's official position. What say you, Dr. Feigelding? No, I think it's very dangerous, especially this is 
what they've always been saying, this mass infection strategy, get it over. But guess what? Every so often, it, there's a new variant that comes and clearly reinfects everyone who's been previously infected. And Omicron is one of those viruses that has huge reinfections. Studies show that if you have convalescent plasma survivors of alpha, delta, beta, you have no um, protection almost uh, in your neutralization against the virus for Omicron. And it's so dangerous because you, there's long COVID. And remember, long COVID, even if you're no, no symptoms are mild, and the, uh, your immunity wanes uh, again uh, over time, even your natural infection immunity, and you could have a variant that evades that completely, like Omicron evades previous Delta immunity. This is just a horrible strategy. It is, it is one of those, you know, short-sighted, you know, quarterly, oh, you know, you'll get a, a quick hit win. But you know what? In the long term, in three to six months from now, I'm worried. In six months from now, after Delta wave ends, how bad it, we could have another, another wave of something else. And that keeps me up up at night, and I think it should keep these Republican senators up at night, especially since it's their own base that they're slowly harming and killing off when it comes time to the election. I really hope that they have a long-term perspective of protecting their voters rather than just pandering to their voters. Well, when you look at their defense of the tobacco industry, you look at their defense of the asbestos industry, you look at their defense of the fossil fuel industry, I don't think you can make the argument that, that uh, you know, that, but, but I, I realize, you know, you're not a political guy, you're, you're a science guy, and so I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll extract the politics from this. Um, but uh, is, so, so this strategy of just getting Omicron and getting over it, which leads me to, to I guess, what, what actually is my last question, which is if Omicron or if COVID, like the common cold, which I believe is a coronavirus, or the flu, and I don't mean that in terms of its severity, but in terms of its ability to reinfect us over and over and over again. I mean, it's not anybody who's had a little kid go into preschool knows <laughs> you, get, you can get the common cold 10 times a year. Um, uh, you get the flu once or twice a year, uh, typically at least you know, once a year, because there's constant, constant new variations. Are we, we don't have a vaccine for the common cold, but we do for the flu. Are we going to end up as a society when we do achieve some sort of homeostasis relative to this virus? probably just getting everybody getting vaccinated two or three times a year and that's just going to be our new normal there are many common colds there's besides common coronavirus there's also rhinovirus it's also considered common cold there are so many infections the best way is to not just have vaccines but also have air disinfection air quality standards to disinfect the air against all viruses air disinfection and masks by the way are agnostic of your variant they're variant proof it's a neat trick, right? Yeah. But I think we sometimes forget that, that, you know, we have in outdoor air standards, we have water quality standards, but we don't have indoor air quality standards. I think that's one thing. So you're suggesting that buildings to... should build better filtration systems in their uh, HVAC systems and put in those UV lights that kill viruses? Yes, exactly. That's better long-term solution. And, of course, the vaccines, we want to build a universal vaccine. They're building a universal flu vaccine. They're getting close. There, hopefully, there can find a multivalent, multivariant adapted um, uh, coronavirus vaccine that can also be, you know, omnibus coverage for uh, most uh, coronaviruses. And I think that's the way forward. 
in addition to ventilation, air and air disinfection, which are, again, politics proof and human behavior proof, which we've learned from this pandemic could actually work way better in the long term. Brilliant. Dr. Eric Feigelding, follow him on Twitter at DR, as in Dr. Eric, E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G, Dr. Eric Ding. Dr. Eric Feigelding, thanks so much for dropping by today. It's always great talking with you. Take care. Yeah, you too. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. fill you in on how industry, in this case the coal industry, by the middle of the 1980s, they knew for certain that their product was changing the biosphere, was changing the atmosphere, was changing the planet. So what kind of people would go into, say, lobbying for the coal industry? Virginia, in large part because of this campaign that was funded by right-wing billionaires for Glenn Youngkin that got everybody in Virginia all hysterical about teaching critical race theory in our schools, oh my God, had this huge turnout of white suburban racists, now has a Republican governor. We had a Democratic governor before, now it's a Republican, Glenn Youngkin. And he just appointed his own head to the, as Secretary of Natural Resources for Virginia, for the state. Now, who is this guy? Well, hey, remember that coal industry and the, and the, and the maybe psychopaths that they keep hiring and putting out? Well, this guy, Andrew Wheeler, used to be a coal lobbyist. And then Donald Trump put him in charge of the Federal Environmental Protection Agency, where he overrode the recommendations of his own experts and refused to ban a pesticide that is used in food in America that we know causes brain damage in young children. The uh, Biden administration has reversed that. He raised the levels of mercury and radiation that we could be exposed to to make industry more profitable. He shut down the EPA's office that provides scientific advice shut down the EPA's Office on Children's Health. Andrew Wheeler stopped enforcing the clean water rule, creating just, you know, a wonderful, wonderful time for all the polluters. He let the oil and gas companies, you know, he used to lobby for this industry, know that they no longer had to worry about limits on methane emissions. Methane, which is 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide at causing climate change. This is the guy, the coal lobbyist, who is now in charge of the environment in the state of Virginia. This is what happens when you elect Republicans. You get these sociopaths that are absolutely willing to put the profits of industry above individual lives, above the good of society, 
uh, you know, above basically everything, uh, above the public health, and in this case, above the climate. And I don't know why this is not a big story. Why is the media not reporting on this? Why is it that Americans don't realize that the outcome of a Republican getting elected governor of Virginia isn't just that they're no longer going to teach the racial history of America in the Virginia schools. He hasn't even gone so far as to put that into law, to the best of my knowledge. But right away, what was the first thing Glenn Youngkin did? Put a coal lobbyist in charge of the environment in Virginia. Right. It's the sharks in suits again. When are we going to stop letting this happen? You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. When is our damn media going to start highlighting this? I would think this would be a story that they'd want to run with all day long, all across the media. It's an amazing story. Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, what's on your mind today? They told me to leave you alone. Hey, Tom, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> was I wasn't going to do what you today, but you mentioned the word mythology. And it got me thinking about a guy named uh, Eber Sayed, S-A-I-D. He wrote a book called Orientalism. Now, the word Orientalism can be substituted for the word racism. Check this out. The difference is racism focuses on the victim, the black guy, the Indian, whatever. Orientalism focuses on the ideas of the perpetrators, you know, their belief system, okay? It's more like ethnocentric attitudes. Wasn't he the guy who was kind of one of the pre-founders of Madame Blavatsky's theosophy? You know, you're absolutely, it starts with an F. I want to say uh, the F-U-C-C-O. You're right. Uh, I, I can't pronounce it, but I know who you're talking about. But the author oh, of Orientalism, okay. as I'm talking to you about, is Edward Sayed. Edward Sayed. Oh, he's the, the guy who, uh, his work uh, became the basis of, of some kind of theology. Was it, was it uh, the Al-Qaeda theology? It's Absolutely not, sir. Absolutely oh, no, wait a minute. Either. He was the, the Muslim Brotherhood. Well, he was a, he's a Palestinian Jew. Yeah, he and and okay. Anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm I may be thinking of somebody else altogether. So the point you were making, Morris. The point I'm making is Orientalism. Orientalism. As a matter of right. fact, when you're talking about Fox News, you can call them the Orientalist Orientalist Channel. Check yeah. out what it means, and I'll get back with you later on. If you want to talk about uh, uh, critical race theory, throw that out. We're not going to talk about racism no more. Let's talk about. Oh, let, you know, here's here's the thing. I mean, I had this uh, hour-long conversation with uh, Karen Hunter, who does a program on SiriusXM on the Urban View channel last week. Uh, I was, you know, on her show, and, and, and we're going to get her on our show here pretty soon, too. And we were talking about, you know, how do we solve or how do we deal with racism in the United States? And, 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 and uh, you know, I was like, I, I think we just had to figure out, and we tried this with busing, and it, it didn't quite work, but we had to figure out how to bring people together. I mean, literally, physically, so that they're growing up together and getting to know each other and all that kind of thing. And, 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 and you know, people were, like, skeptical, you know. Oh, you know, people are so, you know, uh, you, can, you can identify who's black and who's white just by looking at them. So, but, but this tribalism, Morris, is so deep in us. I remember... 30 years ago, Louise and I driving around in the northern part of Ireland, and all of a sudden we're surrounded by a half-track, a guy in a Jeep with a machine gun on the back, pointing at our car and leading us out of northern Ireland. You've got two countries filled with white people who talk the same, look the same, I couldn't tell the difference, and they've been killing each other for hundreds of years. 
because they've been killing each other for hundreds of years. I mean, basically, it's about, you know, religion and, and, and you know, Catholics versus Protestants, which really is about, you know, the British Empire versus Irish independence. But this tribalism thing is really tough stuff. And I, is that what you're talking about with Orientalism, the, the, this idea that we're, we're opposed to people? When you talk about tribalism, all that stuff is racism being used as a tool to manipulate people, to extract and blind them from the sins that are being taken place. Remember when Johnson exactly said that right. if you teach the lowest white man that he's better than the highest black man, he will allow you to pick his pocket? Yep. That's talking about manipulating people. But if you want to bring everybody together, don't teach racism. Teach Orientalism, because it changes where the light is shined. Okay, because it lets you know where these attitudes come from. We got to understand where does all this stuff come from? It didn't just drop out the sky. And if you talk about Orientalism, there it is. Just look it up. I guarantee you're not going to let so that this, go. So this is the idea that you and I, and I don't mean literally you and me, but, but that people are different based not just on race or eth ethnography or you know where they're from or where they live or how they speak, but, but they're different. And in some cases, conflict is justified because of how they believe. What this is about is how people are viewed. It's like an ethnocentric lens. How you see how the Western Europeans sees people outside of themselves. Sure. How you see like manifest destiny. Okay, now that's, that's probably one of the offshoots of it. But philosophically, religiously, whatever, when they see you, they just inherently see you as, you know, they, they got you in a box. Right. And that, that's what we need to teach that we can't be like that. And that ain't got no color on it because like you were talking about white on white crime, that's a negative thing that cops like to employ the black on black. Right. People are just manipulated uh, past, I mean, uh, time so that they can, you know, be taken advantage of. And they, just, they, they don't know. I, I get it. I will look up Orientalism and uh, Edward Said. Maurice in Berlin, Germany, watching us on YouTube. Hey, Maurice, what's on your mind today? I wanted to ask you a question regarding a biblical story that keeps coming back to kind of haunt me, and that's the one about the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. And if Donald Trump does not fit that person, I don't know what does. Well, let's see. Don, do you want to... Uh, what what are the what are the criteria you're looking at? His I don't see where his name adds up to six six six, but uh, Ronald Reagan's did. Well, you know, the six letters in Ronald Wilson Reagan. But <laughs> end of days, the story of the Antichrist, and yeah. if Donald Trump just seems to fit the right images, is in my mind. Yeah. Uh, be right, could be wrong. That's why I wanted to get your opinion on the story of the Antichrist yeah. possibly filling that bill. I think that uh, revel what you're referring to, I'm guessing, is Revelation, uh, principally the, the, what, sixth through ninth chapters, as I recall, where the, the beast and the whore and all this stuff, you know, come together and, and the, 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 the four horsemen go riding and pouring out plagues on the earth and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, you know, this was a, a vision, apparently, that uh, John had when he was exiled on the island of Patmos in Greece. And um, I think it's more metaphor for how we have to resist evil and uh, how there are always going to be, um, you know, basically what I was just describing. There are always going to be people who are, who are uh, uh, shall we say, on the wrong side of things. And, uh, and they're always going to be, you know, trying to do battle with good. And uh, mm -hmm. this is an age-old story, Maurice. Uh, you know, so I, 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 I personally am not. I, I, I do believe that there is evil. I believe that there is even a spiritual dimension to evil in the world. You know, uh, Adolf Hitler was obsessed with the occult um, when he uh, invaded Austria. 
Uh, you, may, you may know this story, living in Germany. When he invaded Austria, the first thing he did is he went to the uh, Habsburg Museum in, uh, in Vienna and uh, seized the Spear of Longinus, the sword that pierced the side of Christ, or is said to have. Um, and the reason why, this was the same thing Napoleon did 100 years earlier. Uh, the reason why was because the, the mythology was that whichever ruler held that spear in his hand could rule the world. And Hitler took that back to Germany and said, okay, this is it. I'm, you know, I'm now the ruler. I'm now the heir to the uh, Spear of Longinus. You know, there, there was all this kind of dark metaphysics associated with the Nazis. There have been several really good books written about it. But, you know, I don't think that this is part of God's plan or anything like that. I think John was simply looking, frankly, at his own time. I mean, you know, at, 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 the, at the Romans and, and maybe, at, maybe at our time, but. <laughs> Thank you, Cobb. You did answer my question. Okay. Uh, a little bit of news from Germany. Uh, they've just uh, proposed to legalize marijuana in the whole country. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, it's uh, you know, Europe is catching up with California and Oregon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a fine thing. <laughs> Well, Maurice. Okay, thanks again, Tom. Yeah, thank you, Maurice. And thanks for watching us there in Germany on YouTube. And, and thanks for the call and, and, uh, and, the, and the New Year's greetings. Will in Broomfield, Colorado. Hey, Will, what's on your mind today? About the Antichrist. And I wanted to shed a little bit of an atheist perspective on, on what that means because I, I do study the Bible. And when um, the author of Revelation was talking about the Antichrist, and at the moment he was specifically talking about Nero. Yeah, that makes sense. The the, I, I thought he was talking yeah. about the Roman Republic, or yeah, but Nero. Well, well but he was talking about Nero specifically, and yeah. we can get into a lot of how six 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 spells out the name of Nero through the through the uh, gematria, which mm. is converting letters to numbers and vice versa. If you spell out Nero Caesar and convert it to uh, the Roman so numerals, it spells out six six six. Oh, interesting. Or six one six, depending on. But anyway, yeah. the point that the author was trying to make was that uh, when things get really, really bad, up until that time, they were talking about false prophets, and especially Jesus was really harping about beware of false prophets. Right. A false messiah, a false Christ, an antichrist, is, is what they need to fear in Revelation. Somebody who will come forward and present himself as a great leader, uh, through some, he's got some miraculous powers, such as surviving a wound right. or something like that. Way he's beyond just a prophet. Things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A, a prophet, a messiah, a prophet, a priest, and a king. Right. A lawgiver, a great, powerful, wealthy general, and, and, a, and a, a seer. And so, and so the Antichrist, in this case, and, and Nero, and keep in mind, one of the things that Nero, was, what all Roman emperors did, was they claimed themselves to be gods. Mm -hmm. And so when Nero came, and so when, so basically Paul was saying the Roman Empire is bad. As an example, Nero, who we're going to call the Antichrist, is bad. And so in that way, Trump is an Antichrist. He comes forward and says, I am a great leader. I can do all these miraculous things. I alone can fix it. I alone can fix it. Exactly. He has stepped forward and says, I am your Messiah. I am your Christ. I am your Savior. Of course. Yeah. And, and that's and that's exactly what the author of of the revelation and really what Jesus was saying too is that they uh, were the ones with the flashy tricks, yeah. and Donald Trump is certainly one of those. So, how do you communicate that to somebody who is, uh, you know, 
an evangelical Christian who may be inclined to believe Trump? It's a story. It's a metaphor. Mm-hmm. We don't have a ten. We don't have a. Uh, we don't have a whore of Babylon. We don't have a ten-legged uh, statue that exists anymore. Um, well, wasn't, want to, wasn't it ten horns? I mean, could that be the cabinet, Trump's cabinet, or something? They, well, it could be anything. You, you could. Be, it could be anything you wanted to. For two thousand years, they've been saying the Antichrist has been everybody, from Charlemagne to the Pope, right. to Barack Obama, to Hussein, to Hitler, to. Napoleon, Gorbachev, anybody, Reagan. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anybody who asserts himself and says, I have more power than the average guy. Yeah. Worship me. Yeah. And, and that's and that's and that's in a very tangible way where Trump sets out to say, I am your Messiah. Yeah. And that's what we need to be afraid of. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I There has been some conversation today and on previous shows about uh, whether Donald Trump is the Antichrist. The question I was asking was, uh, what about the 666 thing? You know, I I remember when Ronald Wilson Reagan, six letters in Ronald, six letters in Wilson, six letters in Reagan, the home that he bought was 666 something or other lane. They actually, he got the address changed. But I thought, okay, this is it. And then the, the beast was aligned with the, the, the quote, the biblical whore who was supposed to have a horn on her head. And there was all this speculation that that was Gorbachev with his birthmark. Somebody called and said that, and I said, yeah, 666, I, I don't, you know, Donald John Trump, 655, that's not 666. Ford Country notes in, uh, I believe this is our chat over on uh, YouTube, Donald Trump's family name is actually Drumpf. D-R-U-M-P-F. That was his grandfather's name when he came here from Germany. And if you use the German form of his middle name, which is Johann, J-O-H-A-N-N, his full name is Donald, which has six letters, Johann, which has six letters, Drumpf, which has six letters. He's the orange antichrist, says Ford County, uh, or country. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I, uh, I try not to, to uh, you know, uh, weigh in too much on theology here. But Lori in Clovis, California. Hey, Lori, what's on your mind today? Donald Trump actually does have a direct link to the 666. Remember Jared Kushner's building on Fifth Avenue? Oh, that's right. 666 Fifth Avenue. So out, you know, Jamal Khashoggi. Yeah, that's interesting. So maybe. Um, let's see, the, the beast, yeah, the number of the beast is 666. So maybe Jared Kushner is the beast. Yeah, and, and also the- remember, well, well, remember that uh, the beast is supposed to be loud and boastful for 42 months. I believe the first time it got kicked off Twitter was in June, and that's exactly 42 months. Whoa. You've been doing your and homework, Lori. being loud and boastful. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Lori, thank you. Thank you for... Oh, I uh, just want to tell you one more thing I have. Sure. Uh, my favorite saying, you might like this. I call them Republicans, not Republicans. Republican, Republicans raping America since Reagan. There you go. Yeah, it's sadly true, both metaphorically and occasionally, in, in the case of Donald Trump, literally. Don in Los Angeles. Hey, Don, what's up? That guy from Germany mentioned this odd subject of the Antichrist, and I just wanted to say a few things about Donald Trump. Not only, uh, I, I think he fulfills all the clues. I made my this my life study. 
And um, uh, the most telling clue of all is this one in Daniel chapter 7 where it says, he's likened to a little horn that has a big mouth that speaks uh, great things. And the word great there means uh, he's always bragging, mm. always boasting. And, it's, it, and there's nobody that fits that in our world today like Donald Trump because the Antichrist is supposedly a Western political leader of a major state. Not just some... Don't you think Daniel was talking about Nebuchadnezzar? Well, no, not really. I think that this is is a prophecy in the future. Yeah. Interesting. um, It's a very complex subject, yes. But I've got two dozen clues I've written about it. That's fascinating, Don. If you've got a link or any information, feel free to tweet it at me. I'd I'd love to see it. Here we've got Dirty Utility down in Florida basically playing dirty tricks in the political arena. This is not limited. The the damage as a consequence of this is obviously not limited to the United States. It's worldwide. Argentina right now, keep in mind, Argentina is in the southern hemisphere. Therefore, uh, as we are in the dead of winter here, they are in the dead of summer there. This is the middle of their summer. This is their equivalent of June, right? They're six months off from us. According to uh, Stormwatch, which is, you know, one of these international weather monitoring websites, this week on Thursday and Friday in uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, it's going to be 122 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, I remember when it hit 116 here in Portland, and it was like nothing I'd ever experienced. Well, actually, I, I have, but not in the United States and not where, I, not where people live. And they're very concerned about this. The, uh, the uh, early corn sown in the provinces of Santa Fe, Cordoba, uh, Entre Rios, and Buenos Aires uh, is in a very delicate situation, they're reporting. Yield losses range from 20 to 40% have already been confirmed in the eastern side of the country. And as a consequence, and this gets us to our inflation thing, you know, which the Republicans are trying to beat Joe Biden up with, uh, cereal crops have already risen. The price of cereal crops is going up right now as we speak on the Chicago Stock Exchange, or the Chicago Commodities Exchange, actually. Why? Because Argentina is one of the one of the, this hemisphere's major producer of grains, and it's going to be 122 this week. The people who live in Buenos Aires, I've been to Buenos Aires. I was there in, I think it was 1999. It was the year that uh, the IMF cracked down and demanded austerity, the, you know, the, 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 neo, the whole neoliberal thing. And uh, the family that I was staying with, I was there to give a speech on my book, The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight, so it must have been the late 90s. The family that was hosting me that had, had brought me down there, uh, upper middle class family in a nice neighborhood, what, you know, in, in most urban areas in America would be like, you know, four or $500,000 homes. Uh, not mansions, but, you know, nice, nice homes in, in a nice town. Um, all down their street, at least every third house had furniture out in the front yard with for sale signs on it. People were literally selling their furniture and their TVs to buy food when I was there in Buenos Aires. I mean, this country that's been through hell, they're bracing for massive power shortages and even the possible failure of the entire power grid because of this 122 degree weather. Now, when this happened here last year in the Pacific Northwest, and it went all the way from, you know, south of us here in Portland, all the way up across Washington State, all the way up into British Columbia, um, you know, and, and, and Alberta even, 
1,400 people died from that heat. And now, and then following that, of course, we have wildfires because the heat is associated with drought. And now it's happening to Argentina. It's even whacking the penguins, the Magellanic penguins. Uh, it struck one of the world's largest breeding colonies. The population viability relies on, long, well, it goes on. I, I need not share the whole thing with you, but this is serious stuff. This is really serious stuff. And it is happening because the fossil fuel industry, which knew in the 1980s beyond any shadow of a doubt, and it wasn't just ExxonMobil, the fossil fuel industry worldwide knew in the 1980s that if they continued making money doing what they were doing, that by the 2020s or 2030s, we would be where we are right now. But hey, they were making serious money. You got people making billions. You got people making millions. You got people making tens of millions of dollars. These snakes in suits. And they just said, eh. actually, they didn't just throw up their hands. They actually took some of that money and funded organizations and people like Mark Morano, who used to come on this program and debate me about climate change back when it was, quote, still a debate. This was like 10 years ago. They paid their salaries. They sent out intentional liars and disinformation rather than cleaning up their own product and looking to alternative fuels. It's breathtaking. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.